You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have uh, your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be moving to a few different places in Scripture this morning. Today we are in our third week in our study of prayer. We are currently in a sermon series on prayer. When we've talked about prayer, we have stated, started looking at prayer, and we saw a few weeks ago that prayer is personal communication with God. A couple weeks ago, we, we looked at what prayer is not. Prayer is not a, a mark of uh, spirituality, that prayer is, sometimes we can treat prayer like God is a genie and prayer is better because we get more than three wishes, but prayer is personal communication with God, and we get to communicate with God And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment because we have direct access to God through Jesus. We've made the statement about prayer. We have a private audience with God, with the God of the universe in prayer. We've seen that uh, we have a private audience with, with the God of the universe in prayer as at the individual level, but also as, the, as in, in the corporate level, that the church should be praying together. A lot of people ask the question, what is the church supposed to be doing? What is the work of the church? What is the, the church supposed to be doing? A lot of people say, you know, the church should be evangelizing. That's good. The church should be evangelizing. The, some say the church should be making disciples. That's great. The church should be making disciples. Some people say the church should be growing, though we don't really see anywhere that in Scripture that we mark a healthiness of a church by how many people gather in, in the building. That's not a mark of spiritual health of a church. The mark of a spiritual health of a church is prayer. Is the church praying? If the church is a size of 10 and it's praying, it's a healthy church. If it's a size of 10,000 and it's praying... It's a healthy church. Last week, we asked the question, if God is sovereign, if you weren't here last week, you can think on those questions with us. Last week, we asked the question, if God is sovereign, and if he is in control of all things, why does God want us to pray? I think that's a really legitimate question. If God's in, in, all-powerful, he's the creator of the universe, if he's all-knowing and he knows what's going to happen before we can even ask it, Jesus even told his disciples, your father in heaven even knows what you need before you even ask it, then why does God want us to pray? Well, last week we saw that God wants us to pray, first of all, to trust him. We're talking with him, we're proclaiming that we trust him. So God wants us to pray to trust him. Second of all, since we've defined prayer as personal communication with God, it deepens our fellowship, it deepens our relationship with God. Then third, we saw that when we pray, it allows us to be involved in what God is already doing. See, that's, some way, that's a different way than we have to think. A lot of times we think of prayer, of us, we use prayer to include God in our plans, when in reality, when we're praying in his will, we are asking God to include us in his plans. 
And then we uh, saw that it creates a stronger dependence on God, that we, if we're honest with ourselves, if we evaluate our hearts and our spirits, that we only pray when we need something from God. We only pray when we need something. And so really what we are, we're nothing more than, than spiritual nags. But when we pray, we are praying when we are declaring our dependence on God. Our culture teaches us to be self-sufficient. Our culture tells us to be independent, that we don't need anybody. But in reality, God uses prayer to create a spirit of dependence on him. So this morning, now I want us to dive a little bit deeper. I want us to look under the hood of prayer this morning and ask ourselves the question, we've seen what is prayer, why does God want us to pray, and now we're going to ask ourselves the question, how exactly does prayer work? Now you might say, Adam, aren't you even asking this question, it's we're, we're overthinking this. Like even asking the question, how does prayer work? Like we, you can keep this pretty short and we can get out of here. Like even a child in Sunday school could, could tell you how prayer works. But I want us to take a little bit harder look at this, a little bit deeper look at this, because I, here's, here's what happens in our lives is when we pray, we create this idea of prayer in our lives to where if we oversimplify it, we, be, we get flippant about prayer. But if we overthink it, we can create prayer into being something that it's not. And so let's look at how exactly does prayer work? Well, first of all, how prayer works is when we pray, God responds. Now, when I say that, and we're going to talk about this down the line, we're going to ask ourselves the question, what if my prayer doesn't get answered? So I'm not going to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but when we pray, God responds. But Here's something we have to accept and be okay with. Sometimes God does not respond on our timelines. Sometimes God does not respond on our timeline. Sometimes we try to rush God into prayer. But when we pray, God responds. James 4 and verse 2, in the book of James, James writes, You do not have because you do not ask. James there implies that a failure to ask deprives us of what God would otherwise have given to us. So when we pray, God responds. So take a, if you've got your Bible, hopefully you're there already, look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we were in this passage last week. I want us to go back to, here, back to Luke chapter 11 here. In Luke chapter 11, as we saw last week, that one of Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so here in Luke chapter 11, we have Jesus' instruction on how the believer should pray. So look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus said, so I, ask to you, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus is saying that when we pray, God responds. Now again, Jesus doesn't give a timeline on that response, or when that response is going to happen, but when we pray, God responds. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see in the Old Testament, 
In Exodus 32, God told Moses that he was going to destroy the people of Israel for their sin. God had had enough. If you remember, the children of Israel, they were complaining that they, God had brought them miraculously out of Egypt. They're hungry. They're complaining. They're shaking their fist at God. And God tells Moses, I've had enough. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm going to destroy them. I am angry with them. And God had every right to be. But we see in Exodus 32, Moses, on behalf of the people, pleads with God to not execute his wrath upon them. And then God didn't. And what we see a picture in Exodus 32, maybe you can read this later, when Moses pleads on behalf of people, for, for, on behalf on God's people for his mercy and his grace, we really see a picture of Jesus Christ. Because if we're all honest, God should be done with us. God should be seeking to destroy us because of our sin, because of our rebellion because of our complaining. But Jesus stood in the gap like Moses did on behalf of the people of Israel, and Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the entire world, and God's wrath was poured out upon him so God's wrath would not be poured out upon us as we deserve. And so when Moses pleaded with God not to destroy his people, then God did not. One piece of prayer, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but when we, when we pray, one piece of prayer is confessing our sins to God and asking for forgiveness. And 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and confess and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, then God forgives. It's a promise. Wayne Grudem, in his book on systematic theology, he's, in his book, he says, if we were really convinced that prayer changes the way God acts and that God does bring about remarkable changes in the world in response to prayer, as Scripture repeatedly teaches that he does, then we would pray much more than we do. If we pray little, it is probably because we do not really believe that prayer accomplishes much at all. What Grudem is saying is if we don't pray, what we are really saying is we don't believe God responds to prayer. By how we pray proclaims what we believe about God in prayer. So if you and I spend little time in prayer, if we just kind of place prayer on the shelf until we need it, until we need God for something, then that tells us what we believe about God. If we don't pray at all, then that really what that's saying is in our hearts, we really don't believe that God hears our prayers and God responds. So the question I ask for all of us, based on our prayer lives, based on how we pray, what does it say about our belief about God? We, I'm sure all of us, because we're here this morning, would say, yes, I believe that God exists, and how come we don't pray? 
as a church, we would say, well, God exists, God's powerful, then why don't we pray? Our actions about prayer proclaims and shows our hearts of what we really believe about God. So based on your prayer life, based on my prayer life, what does that say? What does our lives, how we live, how we act in prayer, what does that say about how what we believe about God? Second of all, how does prayer work? Well, prayer is made possible by our mediator, Jesus Christ. See, when we're born into this world, we are born sinful. And so we are immediately, as human beings, at friction with God. We are in direct conflict with God when we're born in this world. We are sinful. One of the key attributes of God is He is holy. What is holy? What does it mean that God is holy? He is without sin. And so because we are sinful and God is holy, we have no right on our own to enter into his presence. It's like oil and water. It can't mix. If, you, if we were to put uh, water in a, in a glass and put some oil in there and we tried to mix it as hard as we could, as fast as we could, as long as we could, that oil and water will not mix. It will not become one. That's how it is with us, with, with God. Sinfulness and holiness does not mix. It can't mix. And so because of this reality... On our own, we have no right to enter into his presence because there's friction there. There's conflict there. So whenever there's conflict, whenever there's friction in a relationship, there needs to be a mediator. Now, what's a mediator? A mediator is someone that comes in, a third party, that comes in and tries to fix the problem and get two parties to work together. So here we have God who is holy, and we have us as sinful, and there is a deep divide. There is deep conflict there. And so we need a, we need a mediator. We need a mediator to come between us and God, and then we need this mediator to bring us into God's presence. If you remember that we saw a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 23, a picture of this was the temple and the Holy of Holies. In the temple and the Holy of Holies, there was a section where God's people were not allowed in. There was only one person who was allowed in. That was the high priest. And he could go in once a year and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Why? Because the people were sinful and they were not allowed in. If, the, if anyone other than the priest went in, they would die. If the priest did not go in that one day of the year, if that priest went in on any other day, the other 364 days out of the year, he would die. They did not have the access. They did not have the, 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 the ability to go in. And so they had this massive veil, this huge curtain, 60 feet high, to where no one could go in. In fact, when the priest would go in, to make the sacrifice on behalf of the people, does anyone know what they would do? They would tie a rope around his ankle just in case he did something wrong or he went in at the wrong time and died. So why? So no one else would die going to get, in, get him. They would pull him out by the rope. 
And so there was this huge veil that only one person, the, the high priest, could come into the presence of God once a year. Well, what happened when Jesus died? When he gave up his life and he uttered the, fra- the phrase, it is finished. And Matthew 23, it tells us that that veil, that curtain was torn from top and the bottom. Only God could do it. That curtain was torn apart to where from that point on, anyone who believed in the work of Christ had direct access to God. So Jesus is that mediator that ushers us in to the presence of God. And I think that's a reality that you and I need to meditate long and hard about. Because sometimes I think we treat prayer like God needs us. We treat prayer as if God is needy, and so he needs our, uh, us to be his best friend. But in reality, what God is wanting is fellowship with us, and, but we can't have that fellowship because of our sinfulness and his holiness. And so it's because of the, the work of Christ and belief in him that we can have a relationship with God. First Timothy 2 verse 5 says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So here's a question that might come to our minds as we realize this. If Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, does God hear the prayers of those who do not trust in Jesus? Well, the answer is it depends on what we mean by hear. God is omniscient, which means God is all-knowing. He's all-knowing, and so he definitely knows and hears in the sense that he's aware of the prayers made by unbelievers who do not come to him through Christ. And God may even occasionally answer the prayers of unbelievers out of his mercy and in a desire to bring them to salvation through Christ. But God has never promised to respond to unbelievers. However, and if you are here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray the Holy Spirit uses us this to motivate you to believe in Christ. But however, if we believe in Jesus Christ and follow him, we are promised that God hears and responds to our prayers, not based on anything that we have done, but based on the work of Christ and his death and resurrection. And so Jesus's activity as mediator is really made clear in his work as a priest. Jesus is our priest. He is our high priest. Hebrews 4, and I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. I'm reading that right now in my own um, devotional time. And a lot because it's just going through this, but also it's just really, really good stuff. In Hebrews 4, I just read this just last week. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is our great high priest, but he's better than any other high priest that existed in the past. He's better than any priest that exists may exist now because he has passed through the heavens. And so Hebrews 4 calls him the great high priest. In the old covenant, 
in the Old Testament and under the Old Covenant before the death of Christ and his resurrections, resurrection, believers re- were required to stay outside the temple, as I just explained, except for the priest. But I want to show you what Jesus does for us as our mediator and our high priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and look at verse 19. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There's all kinds of good speculation out there, but we don't have time for that. But Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. See, if we really begin to grasp how truly sinful we really are and how holy God is, then there should be a righteous hesitation for us to go into the presence of God in prayer. Because in reality, we have no right to go into the presence of God because we're, we're again, we're sinful. He's holy. But because of the blood of Jesus that covers our sin, we then have access to God in prayer. And so the writers of Hebrews is saying, because Christ, we have boldness, To enter the sanctuary. What is the word sanctuary? Holy place. It means a holy place. Now, I know some of us on occasion call this room the sanctuary. This is not a sanctuary. This is not a holy place, okay? There's nothing special about this room. God does not live here. We have boldness to enter the sanctuary, the holy place where God is, through the blood of Jesus. Then then the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance that we can enter into the presence of God. Because of our high priest and mediator, we, we have, through Jesus, we have access to the very presence of God, the very holiness of God we have access to. We don't have to worry about being struck dead like a high priest back in the day would have been. We have that access to the most holy of places because of Jesus. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. I told you Hebrews full of good stuff. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, basically the whole theme of this chapter is that Jesus is the better, the superior high priest. Maybe one day we'll do a sermon series through Hebrews. Who knows? I feel like maybe that might be a good thing. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 says this, For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and for those of the people, He, talking about Jesus, did this once for all time when he offered himself. So we have this great high priest 
this better high priest, this superior high priest who ushers us into the presence of God because he is our mediator in prayer. Now, here's one more thing I want us to, uh, to, to know about Jesus in prayer. He is our high priest, he is our mediator, and he is our advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone that speaks on the behalf of another. And so Jesus, in, as our advocate, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is praying for us even now. Even in Hebrews, it says that sometimes we may not even have the words to utter, but that the Spirit prays for us on our behalf. And so we have an advocate in Jesus Christ in prayer. Then third of all, how does prayer work? Well, we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. And with everything we're learning about how Jesus allows us access to prayer, how he's our high priest, our mediator, our advocate, it makes total sense for us to pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, verses 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then in John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask anything of the Father, he will give it to you in my name. You have asked nothing in my, in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So when Jesus in John 14 and 16 is saying we don't have because we don't ask in his name, what does this mean? Because if we're not careful, we can really misinterpret this. Some people say we need to add the phrase when we pray in Jesus' name because of these passages, because Jesus said, but because Jesus said to. Like sometimes I think if we're not careful, we can treat that phrase in Jesus' name as kind of the silver bullet. Like, okay, God, in the name of Jesus, I need a million dollars, so now I'm going to get a million dollars, right? And so if we're not careful, we can just walk around, well, in the name of Jesus, we do this. In the name of Jesus, we'll do this. In the name of Jesus, we'll do this. In the name of Jesus, we'll do this. And we're abusing the name of Jesus, and we're just using it as nothing more than the silver bullet in prayer. Jesus did not say, if you ask anything and add the word in Jesus' name after your prayer, I will do it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not merely speaking about adding certain words as if these were, were a kind of magical formula that would give power to our pray prayers. No. See, we, we need to understand what the Bible says when it means to come in the name of someone. So in the Bible, to come in the name of someone means that another person has authorized us to come on his authority, not on our own. So it's, a, it's not a magic formula. It's an authorization. The apostle Peter did this in Acts 3, verse 6, when he told the lame, name, lame man in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to walk. Peter was going in the temple to pray. There was a lame man there, and he asked, will you heal me? And he said, in the name of Jesus, walk. What was Peter doing? He is speaking on the authority of Christ, not on his own. And then when these disciples were called in in Acts 4, the Sanhedrin, the religious snobs that came together to question these guys, they asked the disciples in Acts 4, by what power or by what ma ma name did you do this? 
They were not asking, did this give you power? No, they were asking, by what authority do you have to do this? So when we pray in Jesus' name, and we say that in our, our, our prayers around here a lot, praying in Jesus' name is therefore made on his authorization. By when we say in the name of Jesus we pray, we are saying we, have, we can do this because of the authorization of Christ. He has given us access to do this. And then in a broader sense, the name of a person in the ancient world also represented the person himself. And therefore, all of his character. The Bible says to have a good name was to have a good reputation. So the name of Jesus, when we pray in the name of Jesus, it represents all that he is. It represents all of his entire character. It is all that we could think that Jesus is. We put that in a box and we put it on the bow of in the name of Jesus. This is his entire character. This means that praying in Jesus' name is not only praying in his authority and getting his authorization, but it's also praying in a way that is consistent with his character. So when we pray, when we use in Jesus' name, we need to pray in a way that reflects his manner of life and his will. So what does that mean for us? When we pray, we need to remember, when we pray, we have the privilege of having direct access to Almighty, Holy God because of Jesus Christ. Because He is our high priest, He is our mediator, He is our advocate. We pray in the name of Jesus because we pray in His authority, because of what He has done, because we acknowledge what He did on the cross for us. And we pray in the name of Jesus because it's consistent with his character. And we pray in a way that reflects his manner of life and his will. And then as we pray, we need to remember when we pray, God responds if we believe in him. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that we have access to holy God because of what you have done on the cross for us. We thank you that because we are sinful and God is holy, that you stand in the gap for us, that we are able to communicate with, with holy God through prayer. God, we thank you that when we, we pray, you respond. Jesus, we thank you for being our, our high priest that gives us access and authorization to pray to God. And we thank you that when we pray in your name, we have your authority and your authorization and that when we pray in your name, that we are praying that we are praying that in a way that is consistent with your character and how you lived. Pray you would continue to teach us to pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. 
Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 10.30. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. <laughs>